light is sown for the righteous, and for the upright in heart, joy. With the consent of the Almighty and the consent of this congregation, in a convocation of the heavenly court and the convocation of the lower court, we hereby grant permission to pray with transgressors. All vows and things we have made forbidden on ourselves and oaths and items we have consecrated in the temple, and vows issued with the expression konum, and vows that are abbreviated, and vows issued with the expression kanos, that we have vowed and sworn and dedicated, and made forbidden upon ourselves, from this Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, until next Yom Kippur, may it come to us at a good time. We regret having made them. May they all be permitted, forgiven, eradicated, and nullified. And may they not be valid or exist any longer. Our vows shall no longer be vows, and our prohibitions shall no longer be prohibited, and our oaths are no longer oaths. Forgive the entire congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger amongst them. For the entire people sin unintentionally. Please pardon the sins of this nation in accordance with the greatness of your loving kindness. And as you forgave the people from when it left Egypt until now, there it is said, and Adonai said, I have pardoned them as you have asked. I have pardoned them as you have asked. I have pardoned them as you have asked. You forgave this people. I have pardoned them as you have asked. Powerful words being sung, prayed, recited, as our Jewish siblings observe Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. I have found myself in tears often this weekend, thinking about Yom Kippur thinking about atonement, thinking about forgiveness and reaching for it. And the tears are for this world, simple enough, for the burning, the rising seas, the unending hunger of industry that would see this planet barren. The tears are for all of you, broken, hurting, exhausted, tired, uncertain, angry. And the tears are for myself, joining you in your pain, having my own pain. And the tears are for Louisville, and not just Louisville, but so many cities we could name. And there are so many names we could lift up, but the tears are for Brianna Taylor. One name, but a name that represents so many murdered, forgotten, and left without justice. There was no justice for Brianna Taylor. There was no justice for the police. There was no justice for a country that is, I feel, almost at the point of no return. White supremacists are marching through Portland. Nazis and KKK members brazenly on our streets with pride, not just here in Kentucky, but all across America. There is no justice, no peace, no solace, just prayers and reminders, ancient traditions whose words strike at the heart, tear it out, and leave us gasping. Please pardon the sins of this nation, the prayer continues. I am not Jewish, but... I hear these words and wonder, is there anything pardonable left? Is there anything redeemable in our culture? Because as if Nazis in the streets weren't enough, as if the continued murder of black Americans wasn't enough, as if a federal government that stokes division and empowers fringe alt-right militias wasn't enough, will you have progressives drawing lines in the sand, excluding one another, fighting bitterly, demanding tests of purity? As if that wasn't enough. Here we are losing all grace, losing all forgiveness. And I, if I believed in a God like many of our Jewish siblings, I would be wondering, is there anything worth pardoning Adonai? To which Adonai would reply, I have pardoned them and you, as you have asked. This week is a peculiar confluence of traditions. 
Uh, Jewish traditions worldwide observe the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, a day of forgiveness, a day of atoning, a day of repairing the world. And if it's one thing I admire about Judaism, it's, it's that it's, as a religion, it gets it. And, and let me be clear, Judaism doesn't need my approval, it doesn't need yours either. But what I mean here is that Judaism knows how to center the complexities of grief, pain, disappointment, to sing it and pray it and feast on it so deeply, and yet joy still. Joy in the Torah, joy in the community of Israel, joy even in acknowledging bitter herbs, singing mournful songs, embracing ages of oppression. Judaism does not shy away from the pain of humanity. And perhaps that is where modern Protestantism has gone wrong, where you find churches with coffee shops, light shows, theologically vacant sermons and songs. But no, no, no. Judaism goes right there, to the tumultuous core of humanity. It cries out at the suffering of the world, and it names injustice, and it gives space for anger and heartache. And yet every year, atonement, always redemption, always renewal, always possible. Every year, it's right there on the calendar, no mistaking it. The world and its inhabitants are never without the possibility of atonement. It doesn't get more beautiful than that. And what a, what a mysterious thing Yom Kippur is. In a world that would rather center hate, sit in judgment, be arbiters of redemption, dealers of division, Yom Kippur says no. Be human, yes, but no to the festering wounds. This is a time to heal, it says. Time to heal even if the mending is not instant. When I dig deep into Yom Kippur, I feel, I feel a deep longing. And perhaps it's unique to me or not, but, but it's a longing for this atonement. Or better said, at one mint. The repair of relationship, the repair of the world. And in that longing, there is a bizarre realization, a bitter realization too. Protestants in America are not good at atonement. For the purposes of today, I'm, I'm lumping us into that category, Protestant. We might not be decidedly Christian anymore, but we still have that streak of reform. It's, it's right there in our DNA. That Puritan bleakness that sits in unmoving judgment of one another. That is Unitarian Universalist heritage too. But all of that said, I'm left deeply sad and disappointed. For in that longing, I realize that our faith, Unitarian Universalism, has within it a dazzling tradition of atonement. How have I forgotten that? How have we forgotten that? It's right there in the name, Universalist. And so here's where the confluence happens. Today, as the Jewish people begin to sing their haunting, ancient, beautiful prayers, today is the 250th anniversary of John Murray crash landing on the shores of New Jersey, bringing the Universalist heresy to America. Now, now, technically it's on the 30th, but we'll make do. And this is a story I've shared with you all. It's a story my predecessor, Cynthia Kane, shared, being from New Jersey herself. It's one of those wild stories in our tradition that you can't possibly make up. And the story brings us first to 1741 in New Hampshire, when John Murray was born. He grew up in a strict Calvinist household, despite having an Anglican father. And, and as just a quick refresher, Calvinism suggests only a set number, the elect of humanity, would be saved by God. And before that we were even born, it was determined if we were saved or not. So Murray would go on to be a preacher, a Calvinist preacher. He would serve in Presbyterian congregations, but he found himself being swayed by the radical preaching of a, a Welshman named James Relly. And it was around this time that he was feeling his theology shift. He was really feeling it in his heart. And his wife and son became sick and died. And such was life in the 1700s. 
It was at this time he declared himself a universalist, someone who believed in the salvation of all humanity, no matter what, with no strings attached, no right beliefs to hold, no special formulas or prayers to follow or recite. And because of this, he was swiftly excommunicated and fired from his pulpit. And as if this wasn't enough, he could no longer afford to pay his bills, and so he was thrown in the jail. In his grief, in his rejection, Murray did not know what to do. He had lost all he had, and he didn't see a way forward. But the few friends he had left urged him to leave England and to start over. And so Murray sailed for America on a ship named the Hand in Hand. The destination was New York, and upon nearly reaching their destination, the fog rolled in and enveloped the hand in hand in the surrounding seas, and it wouldn't let up. So bad was that fog that the ship landed not in New York, but New Jersey. And upon getting off the ship, John Murray went to a small farmhouse near the shore, and next to the farmhouse, he saw a chapel attached to it. There he met the farmer named Thomas Potter, and Potter gave supplies to everyone on the ship, but also invited John over for dinner later that evening. And when John joined them for dinner, Potter was excited to show John the chapel after learning he used to be a preacher. Potter declared very proudly upon showing him the chapel, I built this chapel because I believe all are saved, and there are no churches in America that preach this. Murray shared with Thomas Potter that he believed that too. And Potter looked at the man swept in from the sea in the fog on the ship called the Hand in Hand, and it suddenly dawned on him. He told Murray excitedly, I built this chapel with no minister and no congregation. I built it and waited for God to send a minister that would preach the gospel of love. You, John, are that minister. I have waited for you for a long time. Now, of course, in any good prophet story, Murray responded, I simply can't. Soon the winds will change and I need to sail with my ship to New York. And if the boat has not sailed for New York by Sunday, will you preach? Potter asked. Murray smiled, knowing he'd be long gone. If I am still here on Sunday, I will preach in your church, Potter. Sunday morning came and throughout that week, would you believe it? There was no wind suitable for sailing. The ship stayed in the New Jersey port. And that Sunday morning, September 30th, 1770, John Murray preached in the Thomas Potter Chapel that sat empty for many years, waiting for a universalist preacher to wash ashore. In that sermon, John Murray preached the universalist message of enduring love. He shared the gospel of universalism, that, that all are saved no matter what. And Murray would go, to, go on to preach in uh, Potter's Chapel for several years before moving on to Massachusetts. It was during this time that John Murray officially founded Universalism in America, bringing a radical message of love on a ship named the Hand in Hand on the shores of New Jersey. I don't often believe in what could be called the miraculous, but I do believe that the universe, that life, draws itself toward intention, and the results are what we might deem the miraculous. Call it happenstance, call it coincidence, call it synchronicity, call it a one in five trillion chance, call it what you will. But a dejected British preacher on a ship bound for New York landed in a small port in New Jersey where a farmer had built a chapel many years ago and offered him a job. Add on to this the fact they were both universalists and you have a story for the ages. And there you have it. This Yom Kippur 
we also celebrate universal salvation. The heresy we affirm and promote that there is always redemption, always renewal, and in that utterance, in that acknowledgement, our real work begins. Here we have a broken, burning world with our broken, burning lives. Here we have no justice for Breonna Taylor, no justice for countless black lives destroyed and murdered. Here we have a government that only listens to the voices of the 1% of us. Here we have a world of hungry, starving, dying, bleeding, suffering, hopeless people. All of this and how on earth is universalism, the belief in redemption and atonement, always being possible? What point is there in such a belief, we might ask? How can there be any forgiveness for those in power who continue to tear our country apart? How can there be any redemption for those who continue to allow a world of no justice, no peace, no solace, nothing? For Brianna, for her family, for all the names we continue to say and must keep saying. What is left to redeem with swastikas and white power symbols and militias and red hats? And on top of it all, the planet is burning. What is left worth saving when we continue to tear each other apart, make enemies of one another, demand not justice but retaliation, and sit in judgment of those nearest to us? What on earth is left when forgiveness is not on our lips, even if it is the bitterest word we utter? What on earth is left? Well, Andrea Williams, the former co-moderator of our association, died unexpectedly this past week. She was sick for several months, but it took a, a, sudden, a sudden turn for the worst. Those of you that went to General Assembly certainly got to meet her, and she was a force to be reckoned with. You heard her words earlier, and she is so dearly missed. Her words give us a modern expression of universalism. And she writes to us, we rise to be our true selves, our true selves in relationship to our families and communities, recognizing our liberating and whole selves. Thanks to all that are the embodiment, the embodiment not of productivity, but the embodiment of radical love, care, and sanctuary. It's time, embodiment time. Embodiment, living one's values out loud. Modern universalist voices are taking the universalism of our ancestors, of John Murray, and bringing it to 2020. They're bringing it to the streets as we cry out for justice. They're bringing it to the pain, the anger, the anguish of this world. They're bringing it and reminding us that there is a love. We might not call it a God, but there is a love that transcends any anger, any anguish, any hatred, any injustice, any and everything. The Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt, former interim co-president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, reminds us and makes it clear. She writes, we are the theological inheritors of the teachings of universal salvation. There is no winnowing out of the supposedly unworthy that can be named sacred among us. It is our very universalism that is at stake when we turn away from the impact our institutions have on the same communities and groups that society encourages us to dehumanize and make small. This is a clear call to not turn away from what is happening in the streets. It is a call to stop figuring out our place and wondering what our place is and recognize that we all have a part in the fabric of our collective liberation. If all we have to offer the world is individualism and the oft-repeated phrase, you can believe whatever you want, we have nothing to offer. But collective salvation universalism, a radical call that there is no winnowing out of the supposedly worthy and unworthy in the beloved community. That is still a heresy in today's world. 
Call me a heretic, for I will die a heretic if it means believing in our collective liberation. It doesn't mean it's easy. There never was such a promise. No such promise exists. But it means we are the inheritors of that legacy, and we are called to deny the system of unending anger, hatred, and division. We are called to deny it its power. We need to turn our anger into action. We need to turn our hatred, and you know what that feels like. It burns in the heart into a force that can only bring about love. We need to cross the lines of division with courage, for they're just lines, and some of them we drew ourselves. Others have been there for over 400 years. This is the work of the spirit, of the mind, of whatever you want to call it. This is our religious work, community work, the work of Unitarian Universalism. And it isn't just work. It is both the expression of and the nourishment for our innermost selves. Collective liberation, universal salvation. There is no winnowing out. The fires of hell burn brightly in this country today. There are communities up and down the street this church is on and all across Lexington and Kentucky and all across this country. There are communities that will let you sit in judgment, that will stoke the flames of hell, that will enshrine and empower a religion of bitterness. Call me a heretic, for I will not give in to the dripping toxicity around us. We don't just say action for justice here at UUCL. We say action with love. Difficult heart-wrenching love for justice, a love that continually forgives. And sometimes that forgiveness means holding those who are unrepentant and commit acts of evil accountable, a love that draws the circle wider and wider and wider. There is no winnowing out. As universalists, we cannot sit in judgment. For one day there will be, uh, we will be on the receiving end of such graceless hubris. Instead, we take our humanity, we take the rage, the anger, the despair, we take it to the streets. We stop asking what our part is and we just do it. For when we believe in the universalist message, our love for this world is so great that we can only dream of a day of atonement, a day of tikkun olam, repair of the world. That is the promise on this day where Yom Kippur and the legacy of universalism in this country meet. There is no winnowing out. Now it must be lifted up that in Yom Kippur, there is no blanket forgiveness. You have to work for it. You have to call people out. And so there may be people in this world, people who've done evil, evil things, Terrible things. People who have unwittingly participated in a system of oppression. People who continue to do so knowingly. People who take joy in it. People who try to continue to stoke the division in our country. It may be a long time before atonement and forgiveness is possible. But we still need to take our message of collective liberation out into the streets. We still need to put out those fires of hell. That is the call for each and every one of us. That is the universalist message today.